Welcome to the Sim Cafe, a podcast produced by the team at Innovative Sim Solutions, edited by Shelley Hauser. Join our host, Deb Tauber, as she sits down with subject matter experts from across the globe to reimagine clinical education and the use of simulation. So pour yourself a cup of relaxation, sit back, tune in, and learn something new from the Sim Cafe. Hi, welcome to another episode of The Sim Cafe. Today, we are blessed to have Dr. Paul Frampus join us. Dr. Frampus, would you please tell our audience a little bit about you? Hi, nice to be here, Deb, and thanks for the kind invitation. My name is Paul Frampus. Uh, I'm a practicing emergency physician at the University of Pittsburgh, and I've been here for about 24 years. Uh, I'm the director of the Winter Institute for Simulation Education and Research, uh, mostly known as WISER, and uh, have been involved in simulation for for a long, long time, in the, starting out in the emergency medicine and the paramedic world, um, and then branching out to becoming uh, interested in multidisciplinary simulation and eventually running a simulation center that is looking out after the needs of a university as well as a large healthcare system. So I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you. And I actually had the opportunity to go to your site and visit it, which is, it was very cool. And I appreciated that opportunity. So thank you. Dr. Frampus, why don't you tell us about your journey into simulation, how you actually got into it? Yeah, well, I was thinking about that when you were uh, forwarding me the questions, and I, I have a couple touch points. One is uh, I remember back early 80s when I first got my EMT and going through the skills training sessions and then eventually uh, high stakes testing uh, that involved simulation, you know, and I had to strap somebody to what was called a short board back in the 80s and I was being graded by somebody uh, and I was being evaluated in a simulated setting. And then I became over the years interested in that sort of aspect of creating these environments where we can test people. And then I was in the Navy for seven years as an electronics technician. And in my training, I was at Great Lakes, Illinois, and there's these huge simulation training centers for electronics technicians that had simulated radars, simulated communications, and simulated computer equipment that they would insert deliberate faults into. And we would have to go through the testing and the parts replacement and troubleshooting to get to the the question of what was wrong and how do we fix it. And it was a complete simulation of, say, a radar on a ship that allowed me to transition very, very quickly when I went to my first duty station on an aircraft carrier to know how to do what I needed to do uh, when we were at sea in hostile environments and and so on. And I was very comfortable fixing the radars, even, even though I hadn't seen a real one until I went aboard my ship. Fast forward to uh, when I came to Pittsburgh for my uh, emergency medicine residency, one of my earliest mentors in simulation was Dr. John Schaefer. He was the founder of Wiser. And at the time, he was inventing what became the neck and airway apparatus of Simian, the Lairdal product in his garage, basically. And uh, we were doing some testing and evaluation of it at one of the rooms inside the hospital. This predates Wiser. And I became very, very interested in 
airway management and the potential for using this type of training for education, originally starting with paramedic community and then eventually emergency medicine residents and, and training practicing physicians in airway management using simulation. There's a little bit of me that's a technical geek. Uh, there's a little bit of me that's an educator geek and an assessment geek. And I think when all of those things kind of came together, it really uh, uh, let me identify my calling in simulation. Wow, that's a great story. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Frampus, I'm gonna ask you the second question I, I like to ask our guests. Can you describe your favorite simulation experience? That, that's hard to say. <laughs> I think that my favorite simulation experience usually comes after the fact. And what I mean by that is I've been running difficult airway management training for emergency physicians, my, the, the personal work I do in simulation for 20 years. And I often get anecdotal stories back from people that graduated from our residency training program that describe having some experience it was a harrowing clinical experience for them in their emergency department, and they found clarity by feeling back what we were teaching them in the simulation. And as you know, airway management is something that requires sort of seconds to minutes in terms of assessment, decision-making, reassessment, refining the plan, and so on. And I got these anecdotal emails and stories back from people saying, I knew exactly what to do because we did the simulation. And that's what I find really gratifying over time. As a new simulation instructor, I can vividly remember a number of times when we've created that aha moment for the learner. Uh, in my particular case, most of my work has been done with resident physicians over the years. And when you see that sort of spark and that idea that flashes in their head, it really is inspiring to go on. It kind of lets you remember why you got into it and how much work it is to do it, but how gratifying it is. And then in my role as a medical director of patient safety, it's gratifying to me to know that our patients that we ultimately care for and serve are in much better hands by the people that have completed uh, simulation-based training programs. Yeah, great, great answer. We have a similar experience that I worked in the emergency department for many, many years, so I can relate to some of those situations that we uh, we didn't really practice for, and then we would get them. And, you know, I feel like had I had the opportunity to do simulation earlier on in my career, I would have loved to have done that. And I think as I got into as the simulation started to come out, we started to do some, have some just-in-time training stuff ready in the ER, just so that, you know, you could get refreshed to some of those things more quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really great concept, what you're talking about. And it's not often, or often it's not tied directly to the exact thing that you're simulating. You know, I, I think part of it is, uh, particularly in today's environment with the sort of social construct of the way medicine is practiced, particularly in emergency departments and other acute care settings where it's just unrelenting pressure all the time. Um, when we put people in the training environment, we're training them for discrete tasks or skills like airway management, central line placement, et cetera. But it's that sort of communications and teamwork piece that is really invaluable because at the end of the day, most people are pretty good at their technical skills. It's about applying them in the setting of a team 
approach with with camaraderie and knowing you can count on the person to your right and to your left to help guide the situation. And I think that really over the years, I think that's really the value that simulation brings to the table. Oh, exactly. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you could just look at your colleague and they know exactly what you're thinking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Dr. Frampus, where do you see simulation going in the future? What do you what are your thoughts on this? So I, I talk about several different things. Um, and, and one of the things I would say is I look at simulation in, in terms of the education piece of simulation. There's two camps of simulation. Uh, and one is the people that are educating learners to become healthcare professionals, whether they're running medical schools or nursing schools or pharmacy schools and so on. They're using simulation for very discrete needs that have to do with educating the masses from sort of entry level to some sort of clinical transition when they complete the program. That's one camp. The other camp I look at is those that are using simulation in or approximate to clinical operations. And most of those operations are looking at patient safety initiatives, communications and teamwork amongst professionals, uh, doing assessments of the practice environment, finding latent safety threats and so on. And I think that there's two different needs. Um, one is is the, the real value statement of simulation on that latter group that I described, the safety side, is still in its infancy. And that is, how are we truly integrating simulation into the fabric of healthcare to make a safer environment for patients and raise the quality of care? That's where I think we're headed because that's the value statement. That's the true return on investment for simulation in that setting. The former group, uh, the people that are using simulation in the camps of teaching others how to become healthcare professionals, I think the future of that is very bright. I think that it's been disrupted by COVID in a positive way because I think that it has created a bigger and bigger challenge for students to get a meaningful clinical learning experience. And so what's going to happen is the pendulum is shifting where we are going to have to create enhanced capabilities for students to get their clinical training and good clinical experiences. And I think it's going to fall to the simulation centers to and simulation programs to provide that. And the other piece that I think the future of simulation holds is in on both sides uh, is in the assessment piece. And that is ensuring competence of individuals, but maybe more importantly, assessing the other possibility, likely trajectory of simulation is an assessment and the assessment of teams of people to ensure that they're competent and to find their weak spots to help bolster what it takes to take care of patients. I think the school side of the equation, we still need to figure out that thing that I've been for years calling the practice gap. And that is, what's the difference between the competence of a graduate of a healthcare professional training program and their ability to start work the next day or the next week or the coming weeks after? And there's still a big void in that transition to practice that I think the schools are going to need to reconcile. And I believe personally that simulation is going to be all of that. Now, do you guys use a simulation for interviewing people at Wiser? We do not, no. 
It, it, it's interesting, actually, because I just wrote a brief on this. I'm uh, taking some courses and uh, I'm taking the courses in human resources at the moment. And um, it just came up about using the simulated environment for hiring and and finding these things. And I was writing in this brief talking about how, you know, I, I run a very, very large simulation program and I don't even use it for, for that capability. I think I'm going to start doing that, actually. Yeah, I always thought... You know, if you could go ahead and pick out, not from a resume on what somebody had, but if they were able to prioritize, to delegate, mm -hmm. what is their essentially bed bedside manner mm -hmm. with, uh, with the patient or client? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of potential for it. Um, what do you think about virtual reality? So I think that virtual reality... And if we tie together augmented reality, I think augmented reality and virtual reality, if we combine that into uh, one group, I think it has a bright future in simulation. Um, I think that there's a, a lot that can be accomplished, particularly in teamwork communication. I think increasingly some aspects of technical skills are, are really coming to fruition with augmented and virtual reality platforms. I think that the what we need to start working on is some of the use cases for it that will uh, amplify and leverage the capabilities of AR and VR uh, beyond, let's say, what one case the manufacturer brings forward. You know, we need to we we need to find real world problems and then bring it in and say, how can AR and VR bring this together? One of the things I'm very, very excited about is the capability of AR and VR via networking to have people in different locations that are training together. Because a barrier of mannequin-based simulation centers or traditional simulation centers, if you will, is people have to leave the workplace to come to the center. And in some cases, when your simulation center is right down the hallway from clinical operations, it sounds like it shouldn't be a barrier, but it is. Um, and getting people from point A to point B to undergo training is, is, is challenging, uh, particularly in today's work environment associated with clinical operations. When we can put people together, and again, I think that some of the disruption of COVID is forcing some of this to mature faster, uh, we're going to be able to figure out how to have people in different rooms or different buildings that can train together and accomplish a goal that improves quality, improves the safety of healthcare, and we'll be able to do it without them having to be scheduled to go down to the simulation center for four hours or, or whatever the traditional model is. Great, great. Uh, well, I wanted to thank you too. You did a video for us on debriefing for the course. Yeah. For Innovative Sim Solutions. And it it's you just did a great job on that. And I once again want to thank you. It was very, very helpful. Oh, thanks now, a lot. Where, what do you think about telehealth? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so telehealth is another area that was primed for disruption before COVID. And then I think uh, it sort of exploded during COVID our own operations here at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. I've seen some graphs in some of our leadership briefings that talk about the plateau of a couple hundred calls a week to a few weeks into COVID and we had to ramp up to deal with like 10,000 calls, you know, in a week, I think is what's going on now. I think that one of the things that disruptions cause is a rethinking of the way things are done. So if we think about the need for, and I'm just I'm not picking on any one group or sort of way of doing business, 
but part of healthcare is a tradition and we do it this way because we've always done it this way. And now all of a sudden here comes COVID, we can't do it that way anymore. So what are the things that can be sorted out that it can be just a face-to-face encounter over video and the care is just as good, if not better, because of telehealth and teleconferencing uh, capabilities. We're going to find out that there are things that, that can be replaced in the traditional world of healthcare by telehealth. And part of that is interfacing with the healthcare community for routine checkups, for other things that maybe don't require the face-to-face presence. And the importance of that is it will lower the barrier. Because people in the healthcare industry, like I am, we forget how challenging it is for people that are not in healthcare to get time off work to go to the doctor's office or to get time off work to go get the x-ray that the doctor's office ordered and or check in with somebody for a routine condition. And I think that the telehealth will lower the barrier for a lot of that care and over time. We just have to be mindful and make sure that we are measuring that the population is actually getting better because of telehealth. And we're going to find the nuances that say, yep, this one, it's not going to work over the tele tele system. Uh, We need a face-to-face encounter. Now, are you guys implementing telehealth into your education? We did a few webinars early on during the pandemic, and uh, we've been supporting a number of activities to create remote simulations. In fact, we've been doing this for about 10 years. Um, We had a few posters at IMSH a number of years ago on our ability. These were just pilot tests for us to be able to control a simulator at a remote location during training and doing uh, some debriefing via remote operations. And we've kind of fast forwarded that during the pandemic. And we were supporting a number of our instructors that are doing what I'll call telesimulation with simulation occurring and remote trainees participating in simulations and giving feedback, having debriefing kind of in a reverse mode, whereas the simulator was at the simulation center and the learners were remote. And we were able to create meaningful, what I think of as meaningful learning environment that involves simulation. Another effort that we supported here at Wiser was great for innovation is our training of our SANE nurses, which are sexual assault nurse examiners. And during the pandemic, what we did was we created boxes, boxes of equipment that got mailed to the participants' homes. And our faculty were here at Wiser where we had lots of different cameras and video angles set up and everything. And we conducted it so that the educators were conducting the simulations live, broadcasting what needed to be done. And then the people at home were doing it on the task trainers and the pieces of equipment that they received. And then they would have to report back or in some cases demonstrate how to do things competently. So I thought that you know, we would have never done that if, if it wasn't for COVID. Uh, we would have never sort of pushed that envelope to keep that training going. And we had a group of people that were very passionate about it. And we partnered with them and uh, made what I call a, a great remote simulation course. Wow, that is that, that is wonderful. I know in my days in the ER, I had to set up the sexual, nurse, sexual assault nurse examiner yeah. uh, training. And, and it is very challenging. Yeah. It is very challenging. That's a really good uh, example. Now, is there anything else that you want to share with our guests and maybe share some of the things that you're doing with some of your training at Wiser? 
I think that one of the things that if I could reach out to people that are more experienced in simulation, have leadership roles in simulation, I think that one of the things that we need to do is continue to normalize simulation training. And what I mean by that is stop having simulation be the add-on to a curriculum as opposed to it's part of what goes on. It's part of clinical operations. It's part of what we do as opposed to it's an extra thing down the street in the simulation center. And I think to do that, what we need to do is partner with quality. We need to partner with risk management. We need to partner with safety to understand what the true problems of the, of the healthcare system is. My role for over a decade as a medical director of patient safety for a large healthcare system has allowed me to be in a unique position where I see both sides of the fence. I see the simulation center side, but I also see the clinical operations side associated with quality and risk management. And I wish that more people could take an active role like I have where you see both sides so that we can more effectively position simulation for success for the future. And then the last big thing I think that we're doing at Wiser at the moment is, as you know, Deb, we have a simulation information management system that basically runs simulation centers from a perspective of scheduling, calendaring, the delivery of content, quizzes, surveys, and evaluation. And late last year, we actually just launched a new version of our system and we're excited. Our clients that are using it are very, very excited about it. And we've modernized a lot of things on it. And uh, that's been a big lift for us, but it's been one of those things that, you know, the, the pandemic gave us some breathing rooms on, on some of our operations that allowed us to apply a focus to that and, and move it forward. So we're pretty excited about that. Dr. Frampus, if, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, is there some special places that they can get a hold of you at LinkedIn, Twitter? My Twitter handle is pframpus. Uh, LinkedIn is the same, pframpus. And my email address is uh, on the Wiser website, uh, which is wisersimulation.org. And I get to all the emails that I can. Uh, LinkedIn's good. Twitter's good. Uh, Facebook, I don't use as much for business. That's more of a personal endeavor for me. Lots of different ways uh, if you reach out. If you look at the Wiser website, my personal email address is on there, uh, as well as our Wiser help email, which goes to our entire leadership team. And if somebody couldn't remember anything about trying to get a hold of me, if they send an email to that, it'll be routed to me by the staff. Thank you. You've been very, very generous. And I will put that in the show notes so that if people Perfect. want to link to that, they can get to it. Thank you so much. And uh, Absolutely. Happy simulating, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for the invitation, Deb. And if you need anything uh, anything else, let me know. And uh, look forward to hearing, hearing what you make of this. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks for joining us here at the Sim Cafe. We hope you enjoyed. Connect with us at www.innovativesimsolutions.com. And be sure to hit that like and subscribe button so you never miss an episode of The Sim Cafe.